You're listening to the That's My Financial Guy podcast, where we talk about life, love, the funny, and of course, money. What could go wrong? Welcome to another episode of the That's My Financial Guy podcast. I am your host, Brian Haney of the Haney Company, and I am just absolutely flabbergasted, thrilled, excited, a little scared to uh, have Casey Craig here with me today. Looking forward to this. Thanks, Bert. I appreciate yeah. it. We're going to have fun. Yes, we are. We usually have fun. We always do. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. Always. Um, so let's get the f- more, you know, highly intellectual and gripping questions out of the way first. Okay. If you could live anywhere in the world for a year, where would you live? Ooh. Boy, I want to say San Francisco, but that, that doesn't sound exotic enough. I'll say Barcelona, but I'm going to Scotland this spring, so I may have to come back and update that answer. Yeah. My family, uh, my father was born in Scotland, so that yeah. might change things. But yeah. Barcelona was really cool. Have you visited there. Scotland yet? No, it's my first time. So yeah. I'm excited. Get to visit the homeland. The homeland. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's all, That's awesome. Yeah, hopefully I'm, I'm in the same boat with Ireland, never having been, and yet always wanting to go, so hopefully... Hopefully, we'll have our, our, our answers changed by the end of the year. Yeah, maybe. Fingers crossed. What food will you not eat under any circumstance? Well, anything that's still moving. I mean, that's just a that's like a guideline base principle for me. If it's still that's, moving, I will not eat it. Yeah, that's fairly applicable. I like that. Texture is a problem for me. Sure. Uh, like avocados are a problem. Hmm. Can't do it. Can't do it. I know people, it's, it's really popular now, but avocados I can't do. But also, you know, like... Things like, you know, snails, you know, like escargot, you know, yeah. just can't do it. Yeah. But can, can you do guacamole, though? I can't. I, because of the avocado thing? I won't yeah. do guacamole. Okay. Crazy. Fair enough. Yeah. Would you rather go to space or to the bottom of the ocean? You know, I don't think I'd like to go to either. Uh, but if I, if I have to, I think it's going to be space because uh, underwater, just, you know, suffocation, the threat of just like blowing up on the on the rocket on the way up is less uh, less scary to me than than underwater. I think it's fair, but yeah. I love space movies. Yeah, I mean, why but not? I also love under. What about the movie The Abyss? By the way, we bring Crazy. two worlds together: That's outer right. space yeah. and underwater. Yeah, that's a good. I mean, I might have to watch that actually. Like duality of terror. Yeah, yeah. the rewatch. Yeah, I, that. I think I dislike sharks enough that I would I would go with space <laughs> more, but. But yeah, I've also I've also seen clips from the movie Gravity, and that also sounds terrible Gravity. too. So, have you seen the uh, the new the new Brad Pitt one though with the, Ad Astra? Ad Astra, right? Yeah, I have not yet. Way better than I thought it would be. Interesting. I really, I really enjoyed it. All right, yeah. good endorsement. Yeah. Besides this one, what other podcasts do you like to listen to? I listen I listen to WTF with Mark Maron. Awesome. Um, I like Bill Burr. I like I like the comedians because you know comedians are usually really intelligent. And they have a lot to say, not just about funny stuff, but politically and and financially, like we're gonna we're gonna talk about today. Um, I just I just think they're brilliant. You know, they, they're just so quick and witty. So I like I like those. Um, one of my clients did turn me on to a podcast that I'm not gonna be able to remember the name of right now, but basically it's a true crime podcast. And I'll tell you that that one gets really uh, addictive quickly. Because, Fascinating. Uh, I, th- I think I, I might I might we've had somebody mention something like that before. I'll have to go back and listen. So tell our listener what you do mm-hmm. at a high level and give us a little background. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, you know, that's the, what, what do I do? That's the, that's the, the question nowadays for us as, as financial advisors, isn't it? Because I think it is. it's really interesting. I've, I've got a, a story I'll tell you in, in a moment about that. I think what I do changes every day. It's, it's getting to the point now where our industry, because of technology, because of, uh, I, you know, by the way, I don't know if you've, you've noticed, but there's been some changes in the, in the rules and the, in the, the governing bodies that um, have forced a number of advisors' hands. But what I do is I work with um, individual families, small business owners, to um, uh, safely manage their assets and their wealth through the needs that they have, whether that's for income now or, or to grow the money for later, and to help them make sure that they transition that money to you know their children and their children's children. That more and more, as, as my clients become wealthier, which is what you're doing as an advisor. You're trying to grow your practice and you're trying to gravitate uh, or, or increase the level of, of client that you're working with in terms of mm-hmm. net worth. And that's, that's happened for me, um, you know, quite a bit over the last 10 years or so. And as they get more money, they tend to get a little bit older and their, their issues tend to, um, it changes. It changes from do I have enough to how do I get all this to, to the next generation? And when we work with a client, that's really what we're spending all of our time on. But the reality is that because the industry has changed so much, you cannot focus all of your time and energy on just the skill set of being a financial advisor. You, you, just, Absolutely. you, you cannot do it. You, you have to run an effective and efficient practice. So mm-hmm. scale has become an unbelievably big part of what I'm trying to do. And so partnerships like the one you and I have, have built over the years with, with your family become important because, you know, you can't be the expert in everything. You have to leverage other people with that expertise whenever you can because there's only so much time in the day. And you have to, when you see a client that is in your wheelhouse, you have to be able to commit all of your time and energy and resources to that. Anything that's not in that wheelhouse, you have to be able to outsource that to someone that, that you trust and and it has to be almost like you know uh, an extension of your own body. You have to trust that person you know that much. So you have to really learn how to you know leverage the assets that you have. You have to really learn how to um, take advantage of the the talents that people have around you. Um, and that that even boils down to you know it's interesting in the in the Wall Street Journal this weekend there was a a, a wonderful article about the uh, the dying breed of the executive assistant and they're talking about how you know as an executive assistant in in, in the days of the madman and and really up until recently you know you controlled the, the the CEO or CFO whoever the executive you worked for it, it was one executive one admin yeah. and that admin really controlled that man's or woman's life just in terms of your, your dry cleaning, your plane tickets, your, you know, even the stuff that was outside of work they controlled. Um, and companies just aren't seeing that that's what they want anymore. So you're starting to see more of a virtual role mm-hmm. where you've got one person that's in a centrally located place, but they might be working as a, as a, as a support person for 20 executives. Um, and they tend to be younger and it tends to be more technology driven. This is an example of the scale I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, what I do is spend a lot more time on that than I ever thought I would as, as my business has gotten bigger, I've really needed to focus on how to 
basically set up and manage a sufficient scale practice so that my clients enjoy the highest level of customer service, Mm -hmm. the highest level of quality. And so that I'm doing for my clients only what I'm best at. Yeah. And the things that I'm not best at, you know, I have to, I have to outsource that. So that's a, that's a moving, um, that's a moving target. And you, you just feel like that's the thing I'm wrestling with, you know, all the time now. Yeah. No, I, you know, I think you, you described it very eloquently in terms of, you know, it's a lot more of an experience economy that we are engaged in rather than just a more formal, whether you want to use the pejorative word sales or service, it's very much holistic. You know, the, the words wealth and management together, they're more cocktail conversation things. I don't think anybody actually really thinks of it in those two terms, but it's, you know, coming alongside your client, getting to know them on a very personal level and, and being able to be engaged in, you know, where they are in their life. And, and it's really, you know, lifestyle accomplishment, right, that drives it. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it goes beyond what's under the hood in terms of somebody's investment statement. I mean, it's not what you – when you first get in this business and you're studying for your licenses and you're doing all the things you need to do to, to even get in the game, you know, it's not any of that. Right. That, that makes the most successful advisor. Before I came in here, I was sitting in the parking garage across the street on a go-to meeting with a client that lives in New Orleans. Yeah. Okay. Husband and wife. She hasn't worked in six years. She's thinking about going back. I spent more time talking to her about that same article I just talked about where mm-hmm. I said to her, look, when you, when she worked previously, her experience was in administration in not-for-profits. Yeah. And which we know a thing or two about you. We sure do. And, um, you know, I said to her, one thing I would tell you is if, if you're thinking about going back into the workplace in, from the mindset of what, you know, what you're used to thinking, I wouldn't do that. I would think in a a less traditional, um, way. And, and I mentioned the article, I mentioned the idea of a virtual, not just virtual, uh, administrative assistant, but just a virtual employee or a virtual contractor or a virtual consultant. Yeah. Um, because there are, you know, there are so many people that can make a full and proper living, you know, with starting in their own LLC or consultancy and, and not actually ever physically meeting any of their clients. Um, and why not? I mean, I was able to do that, that meeting with her using technology, Mm -hmm. uh, sitting in a, in a parking garage. So, so one of my employees was in Rockville, uh, running the, the, the meeting. I was in a parking garage on my phone looking at the screen and talking and my clients were in new Orleans. I mean, there's, there's no reason why anything should be a barrier anymore to, to our success. I completely agree. And you know, you described the nature of how we've built a a practice based on partnerships and specialization. And I think that that, um, you know, we, we both agree. I think that that gives us a serious competitive edge because not unlike a very successful medical practice where you have, you know, a general practitioner, and then you have a series of specialists to handle the very specific and unique needs somebody might have medically. I think we've developed that type of a practice focus where we're bringing our expertise together as a team on behalf of our clients. So let's, let's talk a little bit about that component of the value proposition and how it ties back into delivering a higher level experience 
um, for somebody who's really trying to figure, you know, assets, investing, wealth, insurance, the whole nine yards out? Yeah. So again, that's changed. Yeah. Um, I think even five or 10 years ago, the thought would be, well, um, this guy does our investments for us. Yeah. Um, this guy over here or this, this young lady, she's, she does our financial planning. Um, this young lady over here, she's our insurance specialist or even within insurance, there'd be, you know, uh, some specialty there. And then, but what I'm finding now is that somebody has to manage all the data. Somebody has to be that central location Absolutely. for all the data, right? Yeah. So, okay, we have all these different things, but where do we store all the documents? Where do we get it all in one, one area where our client can log in and all of us c can together do some sort of collaboration or comprehensive review um, and, and have all of us together. I mean, we have an opportunity now to do, do that sort of thing where you just couldn't do it before. It was yeah. just unheard of to have all those people in one place for a meeting. First of all, that's a room full of people. That's more of a seminar than a, than a client. <laughs> Absolutely. Meeting. But with, uh, but with technology, you can do all that. You know? Yeah. And so again, I'm finding that, that yes, I'm usually the wealth management or the investment person in that mm -hmm. role. But because of my my organization has gotten bigger, and because usually the, the the money guy is the guy that has the broker dealer leverage, sure, right. So I'm I'm in, in terms of back office, I'm the one that can throw his weight around a little bit more in that relationship and get the technology generally that is associated with what we're talking about. So I'm finding that for my partners, I'm spending more time making sure that um, they have that technology or what they need to be mm -hmm. able to provide it to the client. So, um, but it does end up being a better experience for the client. Absolutely. And, and even though we have these specialists and even though, but if, if we can be kind of that hub for the client and, you know, communicate all the different changes to all these different people on their behalf so that they don't have to spend their time one at a time dialing, okay, the insurance person, the planning person, the estate attorney, the accountant, Right we can use technology to bring all those people together in a short period of time. I've got an example of this last week. Um, I'm working with another advisor where we're, we're potentially acquiring his, his practice to, to absorb and to give him the scale and the mm -hmm. staff that he just quite frankly, you know, the industry's kind of passed him by, yeah. which, which is another thing that we're seeing in our industry is that advisors are getting older and the industry, the technology just passes them by just like, you know, just like your dad or, or, or your grandparent, if you can think of them out there, you know, struggling to to figure out their iPhone or whatever. I mean, financial advisors are doing the same thing. They're true. They're, they're struggling to figure out apps and how the to, average age of someone in our industry is over 50, which is a little scary. Yeah. But um, opportunistic for us, I think. Yeah, that's the average age too. If you if you if you <laughs> if you take the you know the, the top advisors in terms of assets, so where most of the money is. Sure. Um, I 50, there's no way it's, it's probably over 60, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and so that money is going to pass to the people that are probably going to listen to this podcast eventually. Yeah. And so you and I at our age are, are the bridge to that. And so that's, that's a big part of what my practice has become is acquiring other advisors so that their practice can, can live on. It's mm -hmm. basically getting ready to die if they don't do something. Um, their practice can live on, and then there's a bridge between their client and the people that are important to their client, which is the the younger generation. So, and I can connect, and my staff can connect with that younger 
younger generation. So um, again, it's back to the technology um, and our ability to just do so much more in a, in a short period of time. But that, but that collaborative practice that you're talking about, that, that what, what it, the industry is starting to call the, the family office. Yeah. Um, that's, that's basically, you're, you're either doing that or you're, you're working your way out of the industry as far as I'm concerned. You know, it's, that's kind of how it feels to me. Yeah. And, you know, you, you, you described, um, I think a lot of the ways our clients and, and people out there look for, um, you know, help relationally in terms of who's going to not just give me advice, but walk me down that path of generational transfer. Yep. Um, how can I feel comfortable, not just in making real-time decisions about investing, insurance, et cetera, but how can I also feel as comfortable that the people that I'm trying to take care of and care for will also have the same type of experience? Because, you know, it, it's two sides of the same coin that we're seeing. It's the older advisors having trouble making sure that they continue to have a practice that's cared for and, you know, transition to the next generation. And and their clients are having that same issue. So it's a it's a duality there. And, you know, I like the way that we've developed our mm-hmm. almost like you said, a family office type of approach to make sure that the clients can have that level of confidence and they can see multiple generations working under the same umbrella, if you will, knowing that they're gonna get taken care of and they're getting that highest level service and advice in all of the areas and through one, you know, one relational portal. So, you know, I think it's, it's worth pointing out too, that when we talk about scale, you know, the, the listener may not understand what we mean. I mean, we have a broker dealer relationship and, and behind the scenes, when we're managing money for a client, we, we do business with that broker dealer. They provide a platform for us to, uh, whether it's technology or to custody assets, right. actually custody the client's yeah. money. Uh, a technology suite that they offer us, and all of those things that, that, like any business relationship you have, think of it almost as a franchise. They're going to partner with us, and they're going to give us pricing. Okay. Yeah. And everything costs us. So every every account we set up, you know, there's there's fees for that 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 we pay, or that our clients pay. And the the more scale that we have, the bigger my relationship is. The more influence I have with that broker dealer, the lower I can make my clients' fees. Or the, uh, the less we can pass on to the client, sure. right? which makes us more competitive in the marketplace. And all of that's important, but you know, uh, you, you have to be able to, to do all that in a way that um, makes, makes sense for the client and for all of your business partners as well. Yeah, um, That's not an easy task. That's, that's a lot that we're doing behind the scenes. And, and there's a lot of pressure in the industry. They call it uh, what's called fee compression. Sure. So, you're seeing it um, with the large uh, brokerage houses now. The online brokerage houses going to zero, zero cost on uh, stock and ETF trades. That's that's been a big thing this uh, this year. Um, you know that that's all uh, happening in our industry right now, and and we need to be able to compete with that. But if and this is the point I'm trying to make, coming full circle, a number of advisors or a number of industry sort of you know voices for us. Are, are so concerned about these costs, you know, and, and what it means to us. Can a, can a financial advisory practice or can, a, can a, a financial advisor practice be successful or profitable anymore? And I just don't have that fear because 
and I think you yeah, know where I'm going agree. with this because yeah. we know what we're bringing to the table for the client. You know, yes. and, and our we earn every single penny of of any fee that we collect because we we are always there. We're 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 set up. Everything we do is set up to make sure that that client experience is better than anything that they've and and that anything they've experienced before. And to me, that's like gold. When when we hear that, and we hear it plenty, we do. Uh, especially when we pick up a new client, people are like. Uh, that's, you know, that's not, I haven't had that before, you know? Yeah. So when, when we hear that, that's gold. And, um, but I don't think there's a reason to really fear fee compression. If you're doing the things that, that the industry is clearly telling you, you need to do, you need to grow, you need to get bigger, you need to get scale. You need to be responsible about who you choose as a broker dealer partner, or if you're an RIA, you know, how, mm-hmm. how you set that up. Um, you need to be thoughtful about your growth plane and, and what, how you're going to build that. But I think it's the same. A lot of this has changed over the years. We, we've always said, put the client first. And if you're mm-hmm. thinking about the client, the rest will follow. It's just that now it's like technology and, and your build out of your practice. Yeah. And I spend a lot of time thinking about when I make a decision, is this going to make the client's life better yeah. in the end? Same story as always, but like a different, you know, New it chapter, with the, exactly, new season. With the and, and, you know, you've hit the nail on the head. You know, technology is a wonderful tool that allows us to just be better mm-hmm. and do better. And it and it's, you know, we're providing the same level of deliverables in terms of our proficiency, technical competence and expertise. But, you know, I think we're able to wrap our arms around the client's dynamic uh, their financial lives, their personal lives, their professional lives, and just really take that type of an experience to a new level. And I think it's wonderful. And, you know, to do that at at a scalable rate and in an economically efficient way where, you know, for us to do more, A, it doesn't cost us more. And, and most importantly, it also doesn't cost the client more. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, the fee uh, considerations, I think, are really um you know, it, it's good for people to be aware of that. Right. You know, they really are getting some significant things. I mean, just think about it. So, so often, you know, you, you, you charge uh, a fiduciary or an advisory fee to a client. And, you know, I know when, when I first got in the, in the industry, it was all about, you know, could you make a, enough of a difference in the investment returns to justify the fee that you're charging? Yeah. You know, and sure, that's, I mean, you can't, you can't charge a fee and then, you know, lose the client money every single year. That's not going to work, right? Yeah. But if you have a practice like what we're developing where you're bringing so much more to the table and, and so much more that's not even about um, what exchange-traded funds or mutual funds or stocks we have in your portfolio, um, again, spending time with that client this morning, that was the thing that she, she, she kept going back to was, thank you so much for giving me that insight. And can you send me that article from yeah. the Wall Street Journal? Because that's real. That is the thing that's on her mind. She trusts me that the money's on track, the money that we have. she That's that's a given, right? Yep. I mean, in this particular relationship, you always have to have to earn that. But in this case, it, it's day by day we earn it. And she's comfortable with that. The, what, what she's not comfortable with is what is she supposed to be doing with, with herself? Yeah. And there's a lot of uncertainty there in her mind. And you can just feel it. Yeah. So it's like her husband's out there working. She's not. I, that's what I need to focus on is how yeah. do I get her comfortable with that? Now, 
we have software where we can we can create those models for her and we can add uh, and this person has a what you'd call an artistic mind okay both yeah. both husband and wife do so i need to be able to meet her where she is yeah so i have to know enough about the technology that i have to provide her visualization that's what she needs she needs a visualization yeah. that if you make this decision this is what it looks like green is good red is bad if you yeah. make this right and then you've seen it a million times so yeah. and and that's kind of like a magical moment when you it must be like what uh like for like a, a elementary or a kindergarten teacher when they make that breakthrough with a young a young kid where they just haven't been able to do it or you know and and they can see that uh they're they're making a difference for the client like with with this particular woman you know, I know when I do that, I can see it. It just clicks. You can, and by the way, when I say see it, she's in New Orleans, so I, I can almost hear it click. Yeah. Um, her tone changes everything. And, and then uh, the husband will do something like, oh, hmm, like that. And, you know, and, and you yeah. know, you know, you're moving in the right direction. So, well, and that's, you know, I always used to say when people say, what do you do? I, I you know, a lot of times we throw around cliche answers. I say, you know, we help people make the decisions that they want to make, that they're trying to make, but they don't understand how to make. And you just gave a very descript, uh, you know, example as to what that yep. looks like in real life, yep. you know, and it isn't always, okay, you know, what's my asset allocation? Right. Again, other words that people don't really care about. Ask the average person, you know, do you care about asset allocation? Do you even know what it means? And I would guarantee you, regardless of affluence or demographics, the average person is going to say, I don't know. Right. You know, it's not materially relevant, right. or and or or you've you've just forced them to make up an answer. You know, right? Probably isn't right. right. <laughs> so let's let's switch gears and talk a little bit more um, granularly about investing, which is again obviously a, a, the area of expertise. Oh. I know that you float above the covers as a guru <laughs> in, um, but you know, for um, just I don't want to say the average person because nobody nobody actually considers themselves average, and they aren't. Um, but for someone who's maybe not overly confident or well versed in saving for themselves and you know allocating their resources effectively, what what are kind of some simple things that you try to uh, you know encourage people to wrap their head around when it comes to maybe the basics of investing and of saving your own money for the future? Yeah, um, yeah, those those are actually pretty recurring themes that sure. you see people. So the first thing I would say is um, when someone who doesn't know a whole lot about investing tries to meet me where I am and they try to use industry terminology, they'll they'll start with aggressive or safe, okay. right? Yeah. Safe or aggressive. Those, those are words that they, they throw out there. So a conversation to start with anyone is what is safe and what is aggressive? What, is that, what does that mean, All right? And the safe conversation could be, you know, you have to ask a question like, okay, do you understand how FDIC insurance works with a, with a CD? Do you understand what money market really, really is or means? So sure. in other words, you know, fixed interest rates, how do they move? What, what are, what are the, uh, the metrics behind that? Because that's the, that's the beginning of the safety conversation. And then, and then going to what is aggressive to them, you know, uh, investing in the S and P 500 to me is not aggressive. It's, it's reasonable. Okay. It's, it's, it certainly uh, brings the possibility of, of short-term losses. Um, it can bring even short to long-term terror to your, to your heart and sure. soul for, for periods of time. We know that. But 
um, I look at it as those are those are 500 of the largest companies in the world, certainly in the United States, and the odds that all of them are going to go to zero value uh, in the period of time that you choose to invest in them is is highly unlikely. Sure. Okay. Um, now we might lose over a, a period of uh, you know 12 to 18 months, we might lose 35, 40. 40% of the value. I mean, that, that could happen. It has happened. Um, but in terms of aggressive, we need to, we need to think about what aggressive is picking one of those S and P 500 stocks and putting all your money in that company. That's aggressive. That's yeah. that, that comes with a lot of, you know, ups and downs, but sometimes you'll meet with uh, a client who maybe works for a big company, maybe works for one of those S and P 500 companies. Sure. And uh, they make a lot of money. They're smart. But when you look at their 401k, they've got over 50% of their money in one stock, the company stock, right? Sure. Whether it's through ESOP or, or uh, you know, rights that they've been been given through some executive bonus program or whatever. Um, they're highly tilted towards that. And they've never thought about what that what that actually means. You know? Yeah. So you can actually use that to, to teach the client and say, you know, so you've got all this money in this one stock. Have you ever thought of that as aggressive? And it's interesting to see what comes back from them. And a lot of, most of the time they'll say no, because I know that company so well. Right. And that's a great place to start the conversation of, you know, invest in what you know. Right. right? So don't, don't put your money in something that you don't really understand what it is. That's a great point. And that, and that goes all the way to um, the most common investment that we see nowadays for most folks, which is a, a life cycle or a target date fund. Sure. Having that conversation with a client and with so much data out there that's that's easily downloadable, you can start with a target date fund and and use one that's conservative and one that's aggressive or growth oriented and compare the two. And it, you can really you can cover a lot of ground in a short period of time in terms of looking at the different asset classes that make up that fund. Yeah. Maybe look at a couple of different fund fam families, one that's passively set up one that's you know uh, actively you know set up and kind of then you can then you can start that conversation with with the client yeah. kind of where they are so i mean those are things that i've just seen over and over and over and and even you know i know you know this but it just doesn't really matter how experienced the client is with investing um in fact i would tell you that you know age 60 and above the more experience a person has with investing I would tell you the less likely they are to be able to tell you really like what a life cycle fund is yeah. because they've, they've, they've got their own idea of what investing is and they've ignored that. Yeah. They've ignored that new thing. You know, I don't need that. That's for, that's for people that don't know how to invest. Right. Where, you know, maybe adding that to what they've done already is the best thing they could have done in, in terms of adding some diversification and, and more of a, uh, core and satellite approach, which I know, uh, you know, is, yeah. is a favorite, you know, concept of mine. So I don't know if that answers the question that well, but that's, those are, I think, real life examples of what I see all the time. Well, and, you know, I mean, we, we see this a lot and we talk about this, you know, a lot of times when you're trying to, um, figure out saving, investing, growing your resources and your assets for future goals, I would I would venture to guess the majority of what we're really doing and dealing with is aligning that purpose and answering the question that people don't really ask themselves because we don't think this way. But what is the money for? Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. And, and you know, you can say, well, 
it's my 401k, so that's for retirement. And that's that's fine. 401k and retirement, again, are words that don't have a whole lot of meaning. We help, you know, I think the average person try to think more about, okay, well, well let's let's define that though. Let's, you know, retirement isn't this ethereal concept. Let's make it a tangible, as tangible as humanly possible because aligning, a, assigning the right purpose to your assets then allows us professionally to to really have a more strategic conversation as okay well based on this is what you want to use these this money for this might make more sense from an investing or a savings or whatever it is a vehicle if you will right mm-hmm. um standpoint but i think that that's something that you know again not a lot of people certainly think about naturally and maybe even if they've started out um you know to your point their concept of risk or aggressive or safe or what have you maybe skews what they've already done. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a misalignment. You know, you say this is for retirement and you're 38 and, you know, you've got a 50% bond exposure mm-hmm. in your portfolio. How did that, let's, you know, we unpack it that way. So yep. that's, I that's think, good. a lot of what you talk about. Yep. And I mean, you that's the one you just brought up, retirement. What is retirement? I mean, yeah. Tell, I mean, talk about a loaded question because, you know, you've got baby boomers who have a notion of what retirement means, but it's changing. The earth is moving under their ground, under, under their feet. Yeah. And for a couple of reasons. One, the, the, the way that they're treated in the workforce has changed. Okay. So, you know, they're, they're questioning like the article I, I've, it's kind of been my common theme. The article I talked about, with the uh, executive assistant, you know, um, it talked about how, you know, when one of these executive assistants finds themselves out of work, how difficult it is to get back into the workforce. So that's that's happening to a lot of um, uh, baby boomers now. It's one of the reasons why we have so many uh, new small businesses that have, have cropped up because yeah. they, they get downsized and they, they start their own um, thing, but then, but then there's the whole life expectancy thing. It's, uh, you know, people are living so much longer. Um, and we have this conversation sometimes I have it at least with some of my, my, um, my clients and it's like, so you're 73 now, Mr. Klein or Mrs. Klein. And, mm-hmm. you know, how do you feel? And, and, and you, you can tell they, they feel great. They're still, you know, they, they don't. A lot of gas left in that tank for and, sure. You know, and, and I'll say to them, so, Go back to when you were in like elementary school. Maybe you went to church <laughs> or whatever, and uh, your 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 parents would point out someone that was like a, an elder person in your community or whatever. You know, seventy three years old. What did that mean when you were a kid? And, mo- and most people that <laughs> are seventy three now, it's an interesting framework to they, consider, right? <laughs> they will say, they will say, I, I'm not sure there were that many people around it, it, that were seventy three when I was, yeah. and that's and that's true. Yeah, that is a that is a fact. Yeah. So that the ground is shifted under them and, you know, work. And, and now we have all kinds of data that suggests that that maybe retiring too early is, is not a good thing at all health wise. Like, yeah. You know, in, in terms of just keeping your marbles in the, you know, in the bowl. And, and um, I believe that, you know, I mean, I, I can take a two week vacation and feel pretty, you know, like I've lost all my you know personal worth at the end <laughs> of, of uh, two weeks. So. Um, there's a lot that's changed. So what is retirement is, is this, this whole new, you know, thing that, um, and you can see it with baby boomers, especially a lot of them don't really want to embrace that, you know? Well, and, you know, certainly as 
we then, you know, make that a lot more granular, right? And give it some definition, give it some financial definition, you know, that it's two mostly significantly different frameworks that people tend to operate under yeah. as that, that what we call the accumulation versus the distribution phases. And again, two words that, you know, what does, what does accumulation and distribution actually mean? But, you know, these different phases of life that you really don't have the chance to step back and think about until you're maybe in it or, you know, things happen that cause you to just kind of step away and look differently at things. But, you know, a lot of as you're saving and you're accumulating and, you know, you have this kind of forward thinking idea, you got kids growing up, you got all this stuff that kind of moves you. And then all of a sudden there's a new season of life where, you know, all of that's different. And, you know, all of a sudden, maybe you're not either formally working as a W-2 employee of some company where right. you had this predictable schedule, right. you had a predictable income and benefits and all this stuff that we, again, we kind of take for granted. We don't think too much about as we're going through and experiencing it. Mm -hmm. And then you walk into this new season, this new phase of life called retirement, if we want to even call it that. And you're, you're required to be a lot more self-reliant than I think we're really cognitively prepared for. And that's, yeah, that's another good point too, that the, the whole, um, the nature of the relationship between employer and employee has changed quite a bit too. Yeah. Um, baby boomers coming up. It was, uh, you know, you were a company man, you worked for one company for, for 30, 40 years. And then when that was over, that was over, you know? Yeah. Um, but if that, you know, with, with pension reform and, and, and changes and because of life expectancy, companies' ability to maintain pension plans and, and benefit plans, you know, they're, they're, they're encouraged to not have employees that are older. I mean, there's, there's, no, there's no other way to put it. The math doesn't work very yeah. well. Um, and so, you know, if you, can, if you have that broken, if you're a baby boomer that has that, that sort of link broken and it's not your choice – that can put you in a, in a tailspin for a while. And, and I've dealt with some, some folks that have had to, you know, kind of go through that, but, um, I guess reinventing yourself past, past the age of 55 or 60 is, is kind of something that, you know, and, and eventually, you know, we'll, we'll see our economy, uh, you know, slow down. Um, we, we, we've been on a long run and eventually that will happen. And th that's a fear that, you know, that I have for, again, people above age 55, that when the economy slows down, and companies decide to start downsizing, they're going to be the ones that experience that. And um, how will they, how will they adapt? You know? Yeah. So, but I think this virtual, uh, this virtual employment opportunity or contracting on a virtual, I mean, it's not like your expertise is gone. It's just, how do you deliver it? Yeah. You don't deliver it in your car every day. You don't, yeah. you don't bring it, you know, you don't bring your, your person to the office every day, but that doesn't mean your expertise is gone. It's still there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, so much about how we're delivering, you know, our expertise and aligning someone's finances. It's all about that. It's that it's that lifestyle conversation. Again, it goes back to that. Right. The, you know, the distribution phrase is really this is the different we, your lifestyle and what you're doing has changed. And all of that conversation about aligning purpose comes full circle. And it's like, you know, this is what this was all for. And, you know, now you were saving and it's, you know, it's, it's now future income. Now this is, you're, you know, you're supporting yourself differently than you used to through your employment dynamic, but it's still, 
you know, you're thinking the same thing. You want to make sure there's enough money every month over month so the bills get paid and you can get to do what you want to do and all that kind of stuff. And it, I think that that really reinforces the value as to why you make certain decisions about how should I do this along the way, right? Whether it's the right type of investment vehicle, whether it's a portfolio, whether it's a risk, whether it's the way I structure insurance or protection or what have you, all of that comes back to, you know, were we able to help have that conversation in a meaningful way that aligns it with all of those yep. life goal purposes? What are, um, you know, we, we've both seen a lot. What are some maybe common mistakes that you've seen people make along the way when it comes to trying to do finances or investing? Um, well, I mean, not saving enough. Yeah. Um, one one thing that, and this is this has been controversial in my career when I've when I've shared it is, um, I think for many parents, um, the idea of paying for all of a kid's education or college is something that you know they they really they want to do. Um, I think what's what's helped change that mindset a little bit is um, when baby boomers started to see their parents go into nursing homes and what that caused in their lives or is causing in their lives. You know, they're starting to I'm starting to hear people say things more like, you know, well, maybe we can't pay for every penny of the kids education because, you know, if we're financially dependent upon them when we're older. Uh, we're now experiencing what that's like. Yeah. Do we? Is that the legacy we want to leave? Is that really what we want to, what we want to pass a great on? Point. So that's that's one of the big ones that I've I think over the last ten years really really seen um, come into effect where uh, people are you know contemplating more. Do I do I really want to stroke these big checks for 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 weddings or do I you know those those expenses that are traditionally uh, the parents' responsibility. It's getting rethought a little bit, and it's like you know, um, uh, maybe 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 I can help with most of it or half of it, or you know, maybe they can take a student loan and 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 have some student loan debt. It'll be maybe it's good for them to to learn a little bit from that. Or um, so I've, that's one one big I think mistake is that people, you know, have allowed their maybe their pride or whatever to 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 write those big checks that took them off track honestly and yeah. and caused them to um to not be able to do uh what they wanted to do in retirement or added risk that they didn't they didn't want to take that's a big one and then and then there's just the classic um we we haven't we haven't experienced this uh recently because the market's been so so great but just you know um market timing uh you see people you know uh with their cash you know, should I be in cash? Should I move all the cash? And and so that's back to that asset allocation conversation, understanding life cycle funds, which one is the one that's appropriate for you. In other words, here's how this portfolio is going to perform if it's bad out there. Here's how sure. it's going to perform if it's good. And weighing, you know, but but staying invested. We know this. I mean, there's no there's no shortage of of uh, studies that show that staying invested through through the storm, going through the middle of the storm. But again, it's the vessel. Are you are you comfortable with the vessel that you're that you're sure. in and the amount of violence that you're inviting into your into your portfolio? I talk about violence, not volatility. I I, I refer to it as violence when we're when we're in that conversation. How violent do you, do you are you comfortable with Absolutely. things getting if if the market gets that way? 
Um, and certainly, uh, as we sit right here at the beginning of 2020, we have all kinds of opportunities for, for violence um, in, in the stock market coming up, uh, whether it's gravity being in the, the oldest bull market in the history of, of all markets, or uh, politics, or trade, or whatever you want to you know, uh, throw out there. There's, there's all kinds of reasons. I always tell people, in my experience, the thing that starts these, these pullbacks is almost never the thing we think it's going to be anyway. Oh, yeah. Um, Greek bonds, Brexit, I mean, you know, nobody saw those things really as a massive threat um, in, the, in the short term. Um, but those are usually the things that start these, these volatility spikes. Um, but certainly this year, more than almost any year I can remember, we, we have an opportunity for unpredictability. Um, and especially after the year we had last year, such a great you know, run-up, what are people going to do? Are they going to panic? And, and again, uh, that's what a financial advisor does. We're stewards. We, you know, we get the phone call and we say, look, we, we've already talked about this. We picked a line. Um, and instead of saying the, the standard, you know, you know, sort of script that we're given about, you know, we need to stay, the, we need to stay the course. We can, we can bring, Grin and the, bear it. Yeah. We can, we can bring <laughs> the data back up that we talked about in the beginning and say, look, this is, we, we talked about the, the, the highs and lows. We talked about the, the ranges of, uh, of returns. Uh, I want to remind you that this is money that, um, you're not going to use for seven to 10 years, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Rather, you know, bring back the data points back out of the bag, put them on the table um, and say, these are the things we talked about when we made this decision. So to, to take the, to take on this portfolio, this, this vessel, if you will. So let's just remind ourselves of those so that we don't, you know, forget every all the planning we did just out the window, you know, uh, because we got a little pullback. That's not going to, probably work to our our benefit so those are those are pretty two pretty big ones that i've seen yeah and and you know you touched on the point of you know emotional investing which and look as creatures of emotion everybody's going to experience the risks associated with not making you know making rational versus emotional decisions all throughout life but i think it's it's certainly apropos when we consider how do you um continue to try to optimize yourself financially, whether it's investing or other things, you know, being able to not avoid emotion because that's impossible to do, being able to have somebody walk you through what you're feeling. Mm. And like you said, bring it back around to here's why we made the decisions in a non-emotional time setting experience. And these were the things that we were thinking about and, you know, supporting. You did the right thing then. It didn't stop being the right thing now, even though it feels different it you know i think that that's pretty critical but that's probably again something that you, you know you illuminated at the beginning of our conversation is that you really do need to have that type of a relationship with somebody you know like and trust that can help you address that because you know life life is not a a, a static you know elevator ride to the next floor where it's predictable and nothing happens and you can just kind of you know go by Blindly, you, you, you gotta you gotta work through stuff. Things change. You know, so here's where I will get a little producty. As advisors, we have more tools available to us now than than we've ever had before. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I'm I'm a big exchange traded fund guy, and you know, one of the things that um, I have been doing with my clients in the previous, I'm gonna say, 36 months, is staying within an asset allocation, but within the equity uh, or or stock side of the portfolio. 
actually investing in low-cost exchange-traded funds that track indexes, but not the major indexes. They track the low-volatility versions of the mm -hmm. major major indexes, right? So basically what that's allowed us to do is keep kind of one foot on each side of the, the fence. Um, the downside of that is when the market takes off like it did last year, um, you know, instead of getting 25%, you only get 16, okay? Yep. But I can, I can tell you that historically these low-volatility uh, instruments in negative years have well outperformed, you know, the, the overall market. So that's an opportunity to say, look, you know, we're, we're in a 60-40 portfolio, 60% stocks, 40% fixed income or safe stuff. Sure. 60% right? yeah. so aggressive, 40% safe, uh, going back to our earlier terminology. Um, but if, if there was a way within that 60% aggressive, we could be kind of aggressive, but safe, <laughs> safe aggressive. <laughs> um, could, 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 you know, and we have those tools that we can, yeah. you know, that we can, we can use and, and it doesn't take much to just kind of compare the S and P 500 and the S and P low volatility, uh, S and P 500 low volatility index, compare those two for a client and say, you know, and one of the things I like to do is just crack the hood open on the, uh, on the, on the investment and say, look at the top holdings, look at the, the nature go. of these companies. Yeah. Left-hand side, Amazon, Google, Facebook, you know, uh, all Netflix. Uh, Right-hand side, you know, J&J, &J, Procter & Gamble. Uh, GM. Yeah. Exactly, Coca-Cola. That changes the, uh, the mindset. So, you know, asset allocation, having that plan, I love the way you said it, you know, in a, in a less emotional time. But also, even within the, the overall structure, investing in the type of things that will do better in those volatile times. So that's that's another thing that, that we've been doing and or sectors that you like. You know, I'm a big sector guy. So yeah, I've spent a lot of time thinking about that with my clients and kind of thinking through if if we see a pullback, you know, would you would you like to know that you're in the type of equities that that would be least affected, not not unaffected, but least affected. Um, so that's another thing that, you know, I've done personally. Yeah. Well, and, and you, you know, you've described it very well, you know, risk management and risk mitigation has many layers and many levels. And it really, you know, a, a, an index is really, when you think about it, what it is, it's a, it's a collection of stocks defined solely by market capitalization, right? That's, yep. there's, there, it's just, here's how big these top. 500 are. And so that doesn't that doesn't do anything other than give us, you know, a starting point in a frame of reference, but it doesn't speak to what you're talking about how those 500 stocks behave over time and why some may have certain uh, you know, either risk components that might make them more violent or less violent. And so really looking at that, you know, I think that that's probably you know another thing that I wouldn't call it a classic mistake, but it's just something that um you know, frankly, why it's good to have a good relationship with somebody that can help you understand that professionally, you know, yep. a good advisor that'll that'll look at things on a very, very personal and granular level to have a better assessment of risk rather than just the, the catch all index. You know, if I do this, I'll be OK mentality, which can work, but maybe there is a better way like you described. Yep. Yeah. So we've covered a lot of ground. Um any kind of final shout outs you want to make? Any any plugs? Um, well, you know, I think the the plug I'd like to make is 
to both to advisors and listeners, uh, investors, people that are, are planning their future, is this idea that um, I think we're in a society right now where we love to put tags on things, hashtags or labels. We love to just label everything that we, we see immediately, good or bad, uh, yes or no, uh, love it, hate it, what, whatever, whatever it is. Um, and in, in the financial world, it's just as easy to do that as, as anything else. I, I, sure. I, I only like uh, passive, you know, index funds. I don't like, you know, active funds. I mean, that's a, that's a great debate. I don't like insurance. Uh, I, th- I, I only want term insurance, not, you know, permanent insurance. I, I would like to encourage everybody in, in 2020 and beyond financially to, to say that, you know, I don't have to do all one thing or all another. There, there, yeah. there is a middle, uh, there's a middle, a middle ground. Um, and no, this is, this is not a, a, a political conversation, um, or a political point there, there's a middle ground where you can, you can make decisions that, uh, where you take some of one thing and some of another and you, and you find a middle ground. And, and oftentimes what I find is when you do that, the two things complement one another and you end up getting a better result because you did that. So I, I just, I, I, I feel like there's so much of that in our society right now. And it, it's, it's certainly spilled over into our industry. You, you either this or that, not, not, not anything other, or, you know, you're either a, you're either a, uh, uh, this type of person or that type of person. And, and I just hate to see that, you know, we just, there's with so much talent and so much good stuff out there that we can use. Um, I just think that if you, uh, cut yourself off, you end up cutting yourself off from so much of what what could be used to help you, so that's kind of my my mantra for the year. That's that's one of the things that that I'm trying to stay focused on is to keep an open mind when when a client brings a suggestion to me that maybe something they want to do. Um, you know, enough people call me an expert and I start saying nope, this is the way to you know. <laughs> yeah. And there's a reason why they're saying it. Maybe maybe there's a way for me to take their idea and combine it with what I do to get them, you know, what they need. And a good, a great example of that is uh, socially responsible investing, socially responsible investing. I went to the Morningstar conference in Chicago. Uh, for those of you don't, who don't know who Morningstar is, they're, they're the largest research organization in the financial services industry, mm-hmm. or the investment industry. They, they have more data than anybody you could, you could ever imagine. You can, you can research anything. And uh, it's a huge conference, as you might expect, in Chicago. And they have a huge uh, trade show floor, as you might expect. And I'm here to tell you that over one-third of – first, two things. Number one, the staff at Morningstar was really young. Like, I mean, I was I was like <laughs> too young. I'm like, yeah. how – you know, and they had things like manager and vice president on their, on their tag. And I'm like, wow. I mean, this is a company that's really, you know, out in front of it. Um, which is a great thing, I think. Then the second thing is about a third or maybe even like 40% of that trade show floor was devoted to socially responsible investing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you ignore this uh, at your own peril, I think, if, if you're an agree. advisor or if, you, if you're a client. You could say it's hokey. You can say whatever you want, but it's it's a thing out there. And if clients are bringing that to me and they want to – and that's this is an example of what I'm saying – and it's not necessarily something that I uh, want to embrace because I don't see that the returns have been what uh, I need to see. That's not going to work. I need to I need to make sure that I meet that client, you know, where 
where they are and try to incorporate that. So if, if a client says to me, what do you think about gold? Um, where, you know, five years ago, I probably would have, you know, had an opinion about it. I, I would now say, well, um, I think a lot about it. What do you think? Yeah. And we try to find a way to work with the client to, to, to make the portfolio their own, which is hard because you need scale, but I leverage the technology I have to yeah. make that work for the client. Well, that, that makes sense. That's a great plug in terms of, you know, we can, you, you can now, in, in the age that we're in, whether it's because of technology, just because of all of the things that have happened societally and then the impact it's had, I think, in a very beneficial way on our industry and many others, you can achieve a level of, of personalization and customization that you probably aren't aware you can have. And, and to, to that very point, I think that's a great, uh, you know, keep an open mind and also be vocal to your professional, your industry professional partners and let them know what you think, what you like, what you don't like, right. things that you might be interested in. Because there are things that now that have come out and are, and are available that weren't available, you know, 10, 15 years ago. That could be very advantageous to you or maybe aren't, but at least you can have a conversation and know why you should or should not consider something. Yeah. Um, that's great. How, how would somebody get a hold of you if they wanted to reach out to you? Uh, you can go to our website, which is www.hfgwms.com. That stands for Highlander Financial Group Wealth Management Services.com. Um, you can email me at Casey, C-A-S-E-Y at hfgwms.com. Awesome. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this month's episode of the That's My Financial Guy podcast. We hope you enjoyed yourself. If you'd like to get a hold of us, you can find us online at thehaneycompany.com or on Twitter at The Haney Company. The information provided in this podcast is not intended as specific tax or legal advice and may not be relied upon for purposes of avoiding any federal tax penalties. The Haney Company, its employees and representatives are not authorized to give tax or legal advice. Individuals are encouraged to seek advice from their own tax or legal counsel. Individuals involved in the estate planning process should work with an estate planning team, including their own personal legal or tax counsel. The information provided here does not constitute personal financial advice, but is meant as the conveyance of information for educational purposes only. All investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. Past performance is not indicatory of future returns. Guarantees are backed by the claims-paying ability of the insurer. Brian Haney is a registered representative of Coastal Equities Incorporated and an investment advisory representative of Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated. Investment advisory services are offered through Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated, and securities are offered through Coastal Equities Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC.